All right, good morning, Gateway. I'm the late one this morning now. Everybody can start making their way to their seats. We will get started this morning. Thank you, Dan. That was nice. Good morning. Great to see everybody. I'd like to welcome all those who are joining us online. So glad you're able to worship with us. For those visiting with us this morning, we hope you feel welcome and engaging and connect with some of our folks here. Just to encourage all of you, if you look around and there's some folks that you don't know, may have been visiting or you haven't met yet, please take the time after the service to just get to know some folks, introduce yourself, make some connections. Uh, we have a few announcements. want to just remind folks of a few things. First off, uh, kids, no kids worship today. It's a fifth Sunday, and we don't do kids worship on the fifth Sunday, but Pastor Grady did a great thing. He's uh, prepared some notes for any of the kids in the room that did not get one of these. Grady and Richard here have them. Any kids not have notes that you may want one, just raise your hand real quick. Any kids that did not get your notes? Okay, so we're good. Uh, Grady and Richard have these for you to participate and take notes during the sermon today. We're glad you guys are with us this morning in the service. Ladies, just another reminder, the new Esther Summer Bible Study is starting Monday, June 6th. Um, it is starting at 6.15 p.m., led by Alicia Jung. All the information um, is on the website at gatewaybaptist.com under news and events. All the other announcements are on the website as well as we're getting into uh, the summer for different opportunities. Men, there are summer opportunities all through the next few months. Every other Wednesday at 6 p.m., there will be trail hikes uh, with the devotional. There will be axe throwing time, biscuits game. All sorts of different things going on. That will begin Wednesday, June 8th. So check the website of all the different opportunities coming every other Wednesday through the summer for the guys to get together in fellowship. Also, another reminder again, to Vacation Bible School will be June 13th through the 17th for kids who are completing first to fifth grades. Uh, online registration is available on the website. So parents, please get your kids registered so we can prepare accordingly. Very excited about VBS. Also, Discover Gateway, our next class, for those that have been visiting with us, if for the first time, or if you've been a regular attender and you just want to know a little bit more about us, our DNA as a church, as a fellowship, um, this is just the first step in the process of getting to know us at Gateway, and uh, if you want to become a member, so there's another Discover Gateway luncheon class, Sunday, June 26th, at the home of our pastor, Grady, and his wife, Julia. Uh, just to come and fellowship and get to know a little bit more about us. That's June 26th, Sunday. And lastly, a little sad note, and this happens very often, being living in a military town, but we have some military families who will be moving away this week in preparation for their next phase of life that the God is sending them on. So John and Emily uh, Tellefson, Tyler and Scarlett Martin, uh, Jason and Karen Botts, and Dave and Jessica Blair. Uh, those families are moving on, and uh, some are here this morning, some aren't. Those that are here, we would love for you at the end uh, to come up during our last song so we can pray over you and just bless you and encourage you as uh, the Lord's moving you on from here. But we were so grateful the Lord has brought all of you to our fellowship over the last year or two, um, the season he has allowed you to be here. We're so grateful for you and be praying for you. So now if you please stand, we'll read some scripture as we prepare our hearts to worship the Lord this morning. Reading from Romans chapter 8, verse 31 through 38. What then shall we say in these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him for us, 
who gave himself for us till, how will we not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. And more than that, who was raised and who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ, who is Jesus, our Lord. Let's worship our Lord this morning.
blood in righteousness I cannot trust
Psalm 73, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Father, this morning we gather to bless you and to be refreshed by you, the God of our salvation. On this Lord's Day, we put aside the cares and the distractions of this world, Lord, and we look to you and remember that what Christ has accomplished on our behalf at Calvary. Father, thank you for the great salvation we have in your Son, Jesus Christ. As we have just sung, to this we hold, our hope is only Jesus. All the glory evermore to him and him alone. And when our race is complete, still our lips shall repeat, not what we have done, but what Christ has done in and through us. Father, thank you for that. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for us. And this morning, as we gather, we do to worship and to bring our petitions before you. Father, we want to pray this morning for the families of Uvalde, Texas, who have lost children and loved ones. Lord, we pray for their comfort. We pray for peace. We pray for the hope of the gospel that it would go forth and do its work. Heartache and the pain of these families is great, Lord. But we know that out of this tragedy, you can bring hope and you can bring reconciliation and healing. Father, we pray this morning also for the ministry, the college ministry. We thank you for um, those who are home from school who can be here this summer. Pray for those who maybe have left and are back home. We ask God that you would just bless these young men and women. May they grow in the grace and knowledge of you. Pray for Seth and Megan as they continue to minister through the summer. And we pray, Lord, that you would just continue to encourage those brothers and sisters in the faith. Father, we also want to lift up this morning uh, the Fisher Farm Ministry. Thank you for Jennifer and Jeff Hand and the ministry they have to these men. Lord, we pray that these men would grow in the grace and knowledge of you. I'm sure, Lord, that there are challenges in their life right now. We pray that you give them wisdom as they navigate those challenges. And that, Lord, their love for you would abound more and more. Father, we also want to pray this morning for uh, Pastor Bill Thompson and Grace Presbyterian Church. Here on Bell, God, we just ask that you would continue to bless that church and that um, that ministry for those that church family. God, give Bill grace as he ministers and as he shepherds the people there, Grace Presbyterian. We pray that you continue to use that church to do great things in this community. Lord, we thank you that we can pray for uh, other churches in this area who are doing the work of ministry, who share in that uh, gospel mission. We just ask God that you continue to encourage them. Lord, this morning we also want to, to remember the global missions, our missionaries and churches throughout the world. We pray this morning for the Tonga churches in Zambia. Pray that they would be of one mind in taking the gospel to their communities in the lower Zambezi Valley. Lord, we ask that you would encourage them, and we don't know what challenges they face. We don't know what maybe... Uh, 
persecutions or even um, what's going on in the culture, but we ask, God, that you would make your name known throughout that region and that the gospel of Jesus Christ would go forward and bring many to salvation. Father, there's so many needs. Uh, we, you know each and every one of them. Pray for this church body here, um, the needs in this body. We ask that you would just go before us and God continue to do a work in our hearts. Thank you this morning for the offering that's been given. We pray that you would uh, use that offering to further your kingdom. And that, uh, Lord, thank you for the gifts that you've given to us, the, the material blessings that we have. And that, Lord, we would use those blessings to bless others in this community and in our church and around the region here. Lord, we pray this morning as, as Grady comes forward that as he preaches the word, God, that we would be attentive. Lord, what a blessing it is this morning to be with your people and to sit under your word. And I pray that this morning we would not take this for granted. Lord, we have sung some glorious truths this morning. We have heard your name magnified. And as we continue our worship this morning, we, we do, so, do, do so under the hearing of your word, that your word might go forward. And we might hear it this morning and it would lead us into a greater love for you and a greater understanding of who you are. That, Lord, we would be transformed. That our minds, as we talked about in Sunday school this morning, that our minds would be renewed. And that, Lord, we would have a deeper joy and a greater delight in knowing and fellowshipping with you. So, Lord, do your work. And I pray that if there's anyone in this room this morning who does not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that today would be the day of salvation. For our children and for maybe a visitor, I don't know, Lord, but you know. And so we pray that, God, you would do what only you can do. So we commit Grady and the preaching of the word this morning to you. And thank you for what you're going to do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning, Gateway family. Oh, you don't sound fully awake yet. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> Great to see you on this holiday weekend, and we are glad to have the boys and girls in first to fourth grade in the service with us this morning through the sermon part. And so, like CJ mentioned at the beginning, I have a handout for the kids in the room. If any of you did not get one, if you'll just lift your hand, this will help you ponder. Any of the kids in the room not get one? We, hey, Grady and Richard, we got some back over here. Can you can y'all run them back to them? Thanks, guys. Anyone else need them? I hope this will help you guys as you follow along this morning. We'll find Hebrews chapter 7 in your copy of God's Word. Hebrews chapter 7 this morning, friends. We are in the home stretch of our rooted study. This is the next to final week. Next Sunday will be our last Sunday in this particular study. As I mentioned last week, these final three questions of the New City Catechism, as I've thought about them and reflected on them, they resolve, revolve around one word, and that's hope. And to show us the hope we have in Christ. Last week, we looked at the resurrection this week, we're going to return to the theme of the ascension. The next week, we'll return to the theme of eternal life and heaven. If you remember back to last week, we saw that we found hope in Jesus' resurrection. And there's so much hope we find that. But particularly, we kind of focus in on the fact that we have hope, that we have freedom from the power of sin. And I hope this week you've experienced that and thought on that, that in Christ, you're not just free from the penalty of sin, but you're free from the power of sin in your life as well. That by God's grace, we can pursue holiness in our lives. Today we want to turn back to the topic of the ascension. 
Jesus' literal bodily return to heaven. This is what we saw several weeks ago, so let me just remind you. Acts chapter 1, verse 9, we'll put it up on the screen for you, but remember from two weeks back, and when he, Jesus, had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Now, we saw several weeks ago what this meant, and that Jesus had ascended to heaven, how he's ruling and reigning. Today, we want to go deeper on that, and our question today comes from that truth. We're at question 51 of 52 from the catechism that's guiding us. Today's question 51, of what advantage to us is Christ's ascension? Of what advantage, what benefit do we have because Christ returned to heaven? Now, friends, there is a lot more than can be covered in one sermon. In fact, we've seen some of this along the way. Think back to February, we saw because Jesus ascended, he sent the Holy Spirit. And now because Jesus ascended, we have the Holy Spirit who guides us, who empowers us, who dwells within us. And then two weeks ago when we talked about the ascension, we focused in on how because Jesus ascended, he is sovereignly ruling and reigning over all things. That he is on his throne. He's ruling over all things, including every detail of your life and mine and the hope we have in that. There's another aspect of his ascension that should give us a lot of hope this morning that I want us to focus in on today. Now to help turn our minds to the hope we have in his ascension, I want to ask you a question this morning. Here's the question. What difference has it made in your life when someone prayed for you? What difference has it made in your life when someone has actually prayed for you? Perhaps there was a time when you were struggling with a sin and you talked to a brother and sister to find help and they actually stopped and they encouraged you as Christian, but they stopped and they actually prayed for you then and there. How did that help you? And then a week or two later when they came back to you and said, hey, I've been praying for you every day. What difference did that make in your life? Or perhaps you've been in the middle of a trial and a hardship and a brother or sister in Christ came to you and said, I know this is a hard time. I'm, gonna, I'm praying for you. I want to pray for you right now. What difference did it make when a friend prayed over you when you were in a hardship and then weeks later came back to you and said, hey, I'm still praying for you. How are you doing? Now, friends, a quick aside. This is not the sermon for today, but that is to be the norm in the church. So let me just encourage you to be pursuing that with intentionality of getting into each other's lives and praying for one another. That's a sermon for another day. But back to today's topic. Friends, the encouragement we find when other people pray for us and remember to pray for us points us to an incredible hope we have in Jesus' ascension. And what is that hope? Well, let's look for it as we look at Hebrews chapter 7, we're in verses 23 to 26. This morning, can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God? Again, we're looking for what is the hope we have in the fact that Jesus ascended. Hebrews chapter 7, starting in verse 23, and I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. The former priests were many in number, because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for your word. Lord, I know we say that week after week, but Lord, I pray that would be our heart's delight that you have revealed yourself to us and you put it in writing before. So Lord, help us treasure this morning your revelation. Help us understand the wonders of what we are about to discuss and talk about and let it lead to us having greater faith and greater joy in you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So what advantage to us is Christ's ascension? Here's what I want you to see this morning. Jesus prays for us in the presence of the Father. This is the hope we have, one of the many hopes in his ascension, that Jesus is in heaven. He's not just sitting by passively. He's actively ruling and reigning. And one thing Jesus is doing right now in heaven is he is praying for us, his followers, in the presence of 
the Father. He's praying, God the Son is praying to God the Father on our behalf. The perfect Son of God is praying for exactly what we need to the Father right now and always. What advantage to us is Jesus' ascension. He's praying for us in the presence of the Father. Friend, this is an incredible truth. This is a glorious truth. And honestly, I think it's a truth we don't think about much. And we probably don't think about enough. And I want us to dig into that this morning. Now, to understand what we're going to see this morning, we need to understand the context of where we are in the book of Hebrews. Where we are in Hebrews chapter 7 this morning is in the middle of a big section that goes all the way back to Hebrews chapter 4. The author of Hebrews, and we've looked at Hebrews 4, we do not know who wrote this book of the Bible, but whoever wrote Hebrews is making a big contrast here for us of how Jesus is a better priest, how Jesus does more for us than any of the Old Testament priests could do. Those were just foreshadowing what Christ would do. And so we're in the middle of this long section of the contrast between the Old Testament priest and sacrificial system and what Christ now does. Now we see that contrast where we begin today in verse number 23. Look back at verse 23. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. Now just a little context here for us. Remember the role of the Old Testament priest. If you think back to Old Testament studies you've done or your own Bible reading, the Old Testament priests were mediators between a holy God and his sinful people. They were, he was, they were the ones who represented the sinful people to God. Now, this included several things they did. One of their tasks was offering sacrifices to deal with sin. You see this in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 1. In Hebrews 5, 1, for every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. So the priest did sacrifices for sins. That's one thing we've seen about the work of Christ. He's the great high priest now. He did the final sacrifice for sins. So we don't have to keep making sacrifices like in the Old Testament because Christ paid the penalty for every sin that we have committed. That price has been paid. But the Old Testament priest offered sacrifices. But the Old Testament priest had a second job as well. And as you see it implied here, they were acting on behalf of men in relation to God. The Old Testament priests were to pray to God for the people. One of their jobs as mediators was not just to sacrifice, but was to pray for the people on behalf of them before God. Now, there's two problems with the Old Testament priests in doing this job. Number one, they were sinners themselves, so they could never do their work purely. They always were having to, to do ritual cleansing in order to try to be as pure as they could to appear before God to take sacrifices on behalf of the people to God. But they were sinners just like us, and they needed forgiveness themselves. But there was a second problem they had with doing their work. They all died. Every single Old Testament priest died. Verse 23, the author of Hebrews points this out. The former priests were many in number. Why? Because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. Well, it seems like, duh. Yeah, but they couldn't keep doing it. Even when you had a good priest, their ministry eventually ended because they themselves would die. No priest carried on forever. The, the historian Josephus, a great Jewish historian, said there were 83 priests, great high priests, 83, let me say this, 83 high priests, between the time of Aaron, the first priest, and the destruction of the temple. Other scholars say it was a lot more than that. The point is there were many. They would die, another priest would come, they would die, another priest would come, and this would just go on through history. Now, the author of Hebrews is bringing this out to set up a contrast for us. Again, this whole section is about a contrast here. These sinful men who served as priests were limited by their sin and by death, but not so Christ. We see three reminders in this text about who Jesus is. And again, this is a contrast with the limitations of the earthly priest. Let's see three things about Christ here. Number one, we see here that Jesus is holy, that Jesus is holy. Look down in verse number 26. For it is indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Now notice these first three that describe Christ. He's holy, he's innocent, he's unstained. These are all 
synonyms with different emphases, but they all point back to the fact that he is holy, that he is perfect, that Jesus never sinned and he never will. He's perfect in his nature. He's perfect in his being. He's perfect in his thoughts. He's perfect in his words. He's perfect in his actions. That everything about Christ is holy, is perfect. Hence, you have this fourth phrase here that he is separated from sinners. Now, that does not mean he's unapproachable to us or does not love us. It means he is different from us. We're sinners. He is not. He is perfectly holy. We are far from holy. One author I read this week said, Jesus is everything we are not. And I was like, that's a pretty good summary of it. Jesus is everything we are not. He is holy. But the author shows us a second thing about Jesus. Not only is he holy, he is the sovereign king. Let's go back to what we saw two weeks ago. He is the sovereign king. Okay, verse 26, the next phrase. He is exalted above the heavens. Being exalted above the heavens means he's higher than any other heavenly being, that he is ruling and he's reigning. He is on his throne, governing all things for his purpose. He is the sovereign king who is holy. And there's one more here. He's holy. He's the sovereign king. Number three, he is eternal. He is eternal. No end. Look at verse 24. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Now, I love this in the original Greek. This is more literally. Literally, it says he abides to the ages. I just love the image of that, that Jesus abides to the ages. He continues forever. He is eternal. He has no beginning. He has no end. No one and nothing can ever take him off his throne, and he will never step down from it. He is the holy, eternal, sovereign king. So what is the holy, eternal, sovereign king doing? Well, verses 24 and 25 tell us. There's four verbs here in verses 24 and 25 that tell us what Jesus does Go back to verse 24, this phrase we just saw, that last one there. He continues forever. So he continues. What does he continue doing? He continues ruling and reigning. As the ascended Christ, he is what we saw two weeks ago. He is continuing to rule and to reign over all things. What else does he do? Not only does he continue reigning forever, look at the previous phrase in verse 24. He holds his priesthood permanently. He holds his priesthood permanently. That means he will always be the great high priest he will never take a break from being our great high priest, and we will never need a replacement for him. He is eternally the great high priest. So there's two things he does. He reigns forever, and he's the high priest forever. Now, friends, this has massive implications for our life. Look at verse 25, and notice the first word there, consequently. This is not just some nice theological thought that Jesus reigns forever, and he's the high priest forever. This has massive implications for my life and for your life. So there's two more things here that we see in verse 25 that Jesus does that greatly affects us here. Consequently, notice this next one. He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God. So Jesus saves. Now, save means to rescue. We've seen this throughout our study. What are we being rescued from? The wrath of God, the penalty of sin that we deserve. But like we saw last, we were also rescued from the power of sin. Why? Because Christ was the final once for all sacrifice. But notice this. Notice the, what the author includes here. In verse 25 here, he's able to save to the what? He was saved to the uttermost. Now, what in the world does that mean? Now, this word uttermost can mean two things. He either refer to degree of something like holy or totally, that he's saving us wholly. He's saving us totally. But this Greek word can also refer to time. It can also mean forever. He saves us forever. But I think the author of Hebrews picked out this word because it's both. He picked a word that's vague that includes both, that he's saving us into the degree of totally saving us, and he saves us in scope of time forever. We are totally saved forever, that he is forever holding us. He is forever rescuing us, his people. So Jesus saves us. So he continues forever. He holds this priesthood permanently. Number three, we just saw he's able to save. Number four, though, he 
prays for us. Remember, he's the great high priest. The high priest did sacrifices for sins. So we see here he says this. But remember, the high priest represented the people before God. They prayed to God for the people. And here Jesus functions in that role, praying to the Father for us. Look at verse 25 again. Consequently, he, Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. To make intercession for them. Friends, to intercede for someone is to approach someone on behalf of another. So it doesn't necessarily refer to prayer. If you are approaching someone else, representing another, you're interceding for them. And when we pray, there's different types of prayers. Last month, CJ showed us several different ways we prayed. And one of those was to intercede, to approach God on behalf of others. Yes, sometimes we pray, we confess our sins, we thank God for what he's done, we adore him, there's different things we do. But when we intercede for others, we're talking to God, not about our needs, but about the needs of other people. It's an important type of our prayers, interceding, approaching God on the behalf of others. And friends, Jesus is doing that for you and for me in Christ. The one who is eternal, who's holy, who's sovereign over all, is praying for us. Now, friends, think back just a minute to the question I asked earlier. What difference has it made in your life when someone prays for you? Remember, their prayers are flawed as best as they can. They'll forget to pray at times. They're not always praying with the right motives. The one who is holy is praying for you. The one who is eternal is praying for you. The one who knows all things is praying for you. The one who is sovereign and all-powerful is praying for you. Jesus is perfectly praying for us. Now, this is not the only scripture that tells us that Jesus is doing this. Romans chapter 8, verse 34, we see this as well. I think we have it up on the screen for you. Romans 8, 34. If not, I'll jump over there for us. Oh, there it is. Yep. Wait, let me get to it. Romans chapter 8, verse 34. There you go. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. And at the right hand of the Father, Christ is interceding for us. We see the same thing later in Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 24. Notice what it says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 24. For Christ has entered... Not into holy places made with hands. It's not into anything that people have created, which are copies of the truth. But into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God, God the Father, on whose behalf? Our behalf. Now, friends, let that sink in. We talk about Christ's ascension and the hope we have in that. He is at the right hand of the Father, representing us on our behalf. Jesus prays for us, friends, in the presence of God the Father. God the Son prays to God the Father for us, his people. Now, friends, for us to get our minds around that, I want to ask us four questions this morning to try to unpack this idea of Jesus interceding for us. First question for that, number one, if Jesus is praying for us, does that mean God the Father is opposed to us? If, if Jesus, the Son, God the Son, is talking to God the Father about us, is he having to like twist his arm some way, trying to get God the Father to do what God the Father doesn't want to do? And friends, the answer is no. Go back to verse 25 here. Consequently, he, Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Friends, the reason that Christ is praying to the Father is because this is the Father's good plan, because the Father loves us. Friends, if you are in Christ, it is because the Father chose you, 
because the Father willed your salvation, because the Father planned for your adoption, because the Father set his affection on us and gave us to Christ. So it's not that the Father is opposed to us and Christ is loving us and trying to get the Father to change his mind. They are working in unity together as the one true God because God the Father loves us. He has ordained for Christ the Son to pray for us. In fact, he knows how frail we are. He knows how weak we are. So he has ordained prayer to help us. We just see it here in verse 25. The Father's ordained for Jesus to pray for us, but that is not all. He's also ordained for the Holy Spirit to pray for us. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 26. In Romans 8, 26, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Again, this doesn't elevate us. This elevates God, right? We are weak. We are needy. We're weak. But we do not know what to pray as we ought. Again, our prayers are so limited, friends. But the Spirit himself, the Holy Spirit, intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So the Father loves his own so much that he is ordained for Christ to pray for us. He's ordained for the Holy Spirit to pray for us. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, he's ordained for us to pray as well. Let us then with confidence, not with timidity, not with hesitation, but with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace. We're being invited as God's people to approach his throne so that we may receive the mercy and find the grace to help in our time of need. The Father loves us but knows how weak we are, so he's ordained for Jesus to pray. He's ordained for the Holy Spirit to pray for us. He's ordained for us to pray as well because he wants us to grow. He wants us to delight in his presence. He wants us to be conformed to the image of Christ. So Jesus is not praying, twisting the Father's arm. He's praying because this is God's good plan. Second question, how often does Jesus pray for us? How often does Jesus pray for us? Go back to verse 25 this morning. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he, sometimes, occasionally when he feels like it, what's the next word there? He what? Always. always. Now, let that sink in. Always means always. That Christ always lives to make intercession for them. Minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, our Savior is interceding to the Father on our behalf and praying for exactly what we need. There was a great pastor and theologian named Andrew Murray from the 1800s. He said this, he said, without ceasing, there streams forth from Jesus to the Father, the prayer of his love for everyone and every need of those who belong to him. Without ceasing, there streams forth from him, from Jesus to the Father, the prayer of his love for everyone and every need of those who belong to him. That Christ is always praying for us. Now, question number three, what does he pray for us? If Jesus is praying for me and praying for you if you're a follower of Christ, what is he praying for us? I'll give you four things he prays for us. And we don't have to speculate or guess on this because there's several different places in Scripture and there's more than this, but examples of what Jesus prays for his followers. Number one, he prays for our faith. That Christ is praying for us about our faith, our belief, our trust in him. Luke chapter 22, verses 31 and 32. Look at what he says here. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Now, verse 32. But I have, what do you say? I pray for you. Now let that sink in. Peter is about to be tested and go through all these hardships. And Jesus says, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. That Christ is praying for us that our faith would not fail. That we would believe and we would keep on believing. That we would know for certain what we believe. That we'd be guarded from doubts that plague our mind. That Christ is praying that we would have faith and our faith would continue. What else is Christ praying? Second of all, he's praying for our unity. The way we relate together, for our unity together. John chapter 17, verse 11. Jesus says, I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them. This is how you might do. We're just looking at about our faith. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be, what? One, 
even as we are one. Christ is praying for the unity of his church, for us, his people. He's praying that we would love others the way he, that God loves himself, the way the Father, Son, and Spirit relate. He's praying we would do that with one another. The church would be marked by deep unity. He's praying that we would be a picture of God himself in the way we love each other. So Christ prays for our faith. He prays for our unity. Number three, he prays for us not to fall into temptation. So that's thinking that Christ is praying that we would not give in to temptation. John chapter 17, verse 15, just a few verses later, Jesus says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, he's praying to the Father here, but that you keep them from the evil one. That Christ knows that we will go through temptations throughout this life, that until we see him face to face, we will battle temptations because there's a real enemy who hates God and opposes us and tempts us. There's a world that does not think biblically that's trying to pull us to be like it, and then our own flesh wants what's out there. And so Christ prays for us to not fall to temptation, to be guarded from the evil in us and the evil out there. He prays for us not to fall to temptation. He prays for our faith, our unity, not to fall to temptation. Number, number four, he prays that we would know his word. He would know his word, the scriptures, and grow from it. That Jesus is praying that we would love the word of God and that we would grow from it. John chapter 17, verse 17, just a few verses later in this great prayer, Jesus prays, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Christ is praying that we would prioritize reading the word, that we would prioritize hearing it and knowing it, that we would prioritize obeying it, and that our lives would change because we know the word. He's praying for our faith, our unity, not to fall to temptation, and that we would love his word, hear it, and grow from it. But notice something in all of this. Notice what he's not praying for us about. A lot of things that perhaps occupy our attention, financial wealth, ease of life, freedom from all difficulties in life. He's not praying for us to get from birth to death in the safest, easiest, happiest, wealthiest, most comfortable way possible. He's praying for something much better than that for us. Faith unity, holiness, and love for the word of God. He's doing this moment by moment, day by day, because he loves us. It's God's good will. Question number four, last question. What then is our responsibility? Because if Christ is praying for us, do we just get a free pass here? Hey, if God the Son's praying for me, God the Holy Spirit's praying for me, I'm just going to live what I want to live and everything's covered. No, we don't get a free pass here. We still have a responsibility, but one I hope that is joyful for us in light of the fact we know that God is praying for us. What is our responsibility? Look at back in verse 25 this morning. Consequently, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. What is our responsibility? It's that phrase in the middle, those who draw near to God through him. We have a responsibility to draw near. Now, the word draw near just means to approach, to go to someone or go to something. So our responsibility is to approach God, to go near him, in other words, to seek his presence, that we still have a responsibility. Even though Jesus is praying for us, even though the Holy Spirit is praying for us, even though we have friends praying for us, we still have a responsibility to draw near to God, to seek his presence, to approach him, to go near him. Now, don't miss something here. Draw near in the Greek is present tense. That means it's ongoing action. This is not a description that I drew near to God at one point and prayed a prayer, now I'm okay the rest of my life. This is ongoing action. This is a description of a follower of Christ. The follower of Christ draws near and keeps drawing near and creeps drawing near and keeps drawing near. Because why? We're not just trying to get out of hell, but because we've fallen in love with God and his glory and we want to be with him. We want to approach him. He has changed our hearts. So this is a description for us of the Christian life for our daily intentional decision to pursue knowing God more. 
because he pursued us. That we are to pursue him because he has already pursued us. And we do that, friends, as we read his word, as we take time to think about it, as we pray, as we worship, as we talk to others about him and his word. And friends, and if you need help doing that, don't try to grow in that alone. We've got resources in the Resource Center. We've got the elders and deacons. We would love to come alongside you to help you grow in drawing near to God. So let's bring all that together here, friends. Jesus prays to the Father on our behalf. Jesus is in the presence of God the Father representing us. So I have one question for you this morning. And I hesitate a little bit because it's a little bit of a speculation question. You know me, I don't like speculation, but I think this is a good one to ponder. What do you think Jesus is praying for you about? If Jesus is praying for us, what is it do you think that he is praying for you about? We said he prays for our faith, our unity, our holiness, our understanding of the word. What is Jesus praying for you about? Is he praying about doubts you have, that he sees the doubts in your mind and the struggles you have? And is he praying for you to the Father about that, that you would come to see the truth of Scripture, that your doubts would be obliterated because you see truth for what it is and that you would believe? Is he praying for you about doubts? Or is Jesus praying for you about relationships? Because there's some brokenness in your life between you and another believer in Christ, and he's praying for you to, as far as it depends on you, seek peace with that person, to seek restoration, to seek healing. Jesus is praying for you today about some sin stronghold in your life. He knows everything. He sees it, even sins that no one else sees, sins of our hearts and our minds, sins that no one else knows about, he knows. Is he praying for you about a sin stronghold this morning? You would quit loving that sin, and you would begin to hate the sin in your own life, that you would run to him to find the freedom, knowing that he's rescued you from the power of that sin, that Jesus is praying for you to humble yourself and to seek help from him and from others. Or is Jesus praying for you today about how you approach Scripture? how you read or don't read his word. And it's Jesus praying that you would prioritize and value and love his word more and that it would transform you. Because what is Jesus praying for you about today? Now, as the praise team comes, I want you to bow your heads where you are. And before we sing this morning, I want you to take a minute and just reflect on that question. Ask the Holy Spirit to search your heart. And are there things in your life that you're pretty sure Jesus is praying for you about? Doubts you're struggling with? broken relationships that you know you need to pursue, sin strongholds to where you keep giving in to the same sin, neglect of scripture, reading scripture the wrong way, whatever it is, what is it that Jesus is praying for you about? I want to take a minute and reflect on that where you're seated with your heads bowed and eyes closed. And then I want you to pray, pray about whatever it is that you need prayer for. But then I want you to end by praying and thanking God that he loves you so much. Jesus is praying for you and the Holy Spirit is praying for you and that you get to pray as well. Just take a minute to thank him that he loves you so much in your brokenness. He's ordained prayer from the Son, the Spirit, and from you to all work together for your growth. So as the musicians begin to play, would you take a minute and just ponder those things and pray about those things? were many in number 
because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For the deep fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. Father, there is so much hope you have given us in your word. And just even in these short verses, there is so much hope here. God, you could have left us in our sins and condemned us to hell for all eternity. You would have been just and holy and good still for doing that. But you looked upon us in our wretchedness and our sin and you chose to turn our hearts to you. You chose to reconcile us to yourself. Not just so we get out of hell, but so we see you for you and love you and live for you. Thank you that you've not told us to try in our own strength to do these things. I thank you that you've ordained for Christ to be praying for us and the spirit to be praying for us and for us to be praying for one another and for ourselves as well. Lord, you see us in our weakness and our limitations. And God, yet you still provide the help we need. But I pray you fill our hearts with hope, knowing that for those of us in Christ, you've saved us to the uttermost. And that Jesus, you are praying for us right now. Lord, as we think on that truth, not just today, but in the days to come, I pray this would lead us to deeper prayer with you. Realize that as you are praying for us, Lord, that we want to join you in those prayers and pray about those things that really matter. Lord, you know what occupies our thoughts. You know what occupies our prayers so much. But I pray you'd be turning our hearts this week to pray about the things that are important to you. So Lord, I pray that you would fill our hearts with wonder and awe at the fact that we have a God who loves us so much, who's rescued us from the penalty of sin, who's rescued us from the power of sin, and who invites us to pray even as you yourself pray for us as well. Help us marvel these truths we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? We're about to sing our closing song today, and it's He Will Hold Me Fast. Friends, there's so much hope in what we are about to sing and realize that Christ is holding us fast in many ways, but one way is he is praying for us. As we sing, when I think my faith will fail, he will hold me fast. He's praying for that, remember? When we sing, when the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. Because when the enemy is throwing temptation out, Christ is praying for us to walk with Christ. So as we sing these songs, let's be a worship, a reflection, a praise to the Lord for the way he sustains us and holds us. Let's sing together, he will hold me fast.
Father, we just uh, want to close this time together today just uh, praying over these two families, Lord, the Blairs and the Martins. Lord, just thank you for how as a church family you bring people to us, Lord. Lord, and they become part of our hearts here. Lord, it is such, it's even with grief that we let them go and bless them as they go, Lord. But we want to send them out, Lord, not just to say goodbye, but just as a church body to send them out, Lord, with your blessing. Lord, to send them out to to go and make disciples, uh, Lord, in Arizona for Tyler and Scarlett, uh, and for Dave and Jessica. I'm not sorry. I'm not sure where you're, where you all headed to, to Washington D.C. Lord, as they go out, God, would you just grow more and more disciples, Lord? Would you grow their families and and the faith and knowledge of Christ, Lord, as they continue on? So, Lord, we bless you. We send them out. We thank you for the word that we've heard today. Lord, the blessing of Christ, Lord, as he intercedes on our behalf. So blessed to be together as a family today. Lord, and we praise you and love you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you all.